Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 12. And we're going to continue in this story of Job. We're going to look back at a couple of verses in, in chapter 11. But in chapter 11, we heard from another one of Job's so-called friends, Zophar. And Zophar's anger and his arrogance was really on full display here as he makes three major accusations against Job. First thing he does is he accuses Job of deliberate sin. Then he accuses Job of being ignorant of who God is. And then he accuses Job of willful unrepentance. And this was supposed to be his friend. This was supposed to be his counselor, the one that was going to come and, uh, and make him feel better for all of the tragedy that he had gone through. Tonight we're going to look at Job's response to Zophar. Um, in this chapter, we're going to first deal with the second accusation that Zophar makes against Job. That's the one that Job is going to answer first. And my thought is that he's going to approach this one first because this is probably the one that hurt Job the most. And this is that he is ignorant of God and that Zophar and his other friends aren't ignorant of God. They know God. They know his ways. And they're going to explain it to Job, and Job should really understand that. And this is why they feel like they can give a reason to Job for his suffering. So in, verse, in chapter 11, we're just going to uh, review a couple of verses to kind of bring us up to speed. In verses 5 through 8, it says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. This is Zophar talking about, about Job. And he says that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Therefore, know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? So Zophar's kind of, it's kind of humorous here that uh, he admits that God's ways are too high and too deep to understand, that his wisdom is unsearchable, and yet he claims that he knows God and he knows his ways and he's very predictable and Job should understand that. And so as Job now answers uh, in in Zophar's accusation, you can sense a little bit of maybe sarcasm in Job. A little bit of his, his humanity comes out in this. And so we're going to jump into verses 1 through 3 in, in Job chapter 12. And we're going to see how he responds here. So it says, Then Job answered and, says, and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? 
Job is basically saying, hey, Zophar, you guys think you're all that. You think you have all this understanding of God. And, um, and Job's saying, I'm, I'm no less a person than you are. I, I can have understanding also. So Job goes on now to affirm his understanding of God, I guess as much as any man can have understanding of God. We know that his ways are higher than our ways. We know that he is unsearchable and, and we cannot find out all of the deep things of God. But he reveals himself to us in the scriptures. And Job is going to try to make that point here that it doesn't take a great intellect or years of experience to understand God. God made his, um, his plan for humanity simple so that anyone can understand it. So sometimes we think that, you know, great theologians have this insight that no one else has. But God wants to reveal himself to every single person. Um, he made it so that everyone could understand and know him. So God reveals himself not through our intellect, but through the power of the Holy Spirit to anyone who is yielded to the Spirit. There are many instances in the Bible where unknown things have been revealed to faithful men whom God is with. Faithful men who, who yield to the Spirit, who yield to God so that God can work through them and give them understanding. I think of Joseph and Daniel, both of whom had um, understanding maybe beyond their intellect that God gave them because they were yielded to God. God worked through these men because they were faithful to him. But notice how they always gave the glory back to God. They didn't take it upon themselves. They didn't claim to be so smart that they have this insight that no one else can have. I, I go to Daniel chapter 2. And, you know, when he's going to reveal this, this dream, this interpretation to the king. And Daniel says, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets, that's God, has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation to the king that and that you may know the thought of your heart. So. Daniel is so humble here, understanding that, yes, God is using him. God is working through him, giving him wisdom, giving him understanding and knowledge. But it's not because he's any smarter than anyone else. Job's friends, on the other hand, take that honor, take the glory that is due the Lord. And in Job's defense, he's saying that he has as much understanding of these things as anyone can. You know, I, I just think about, um, you know, people who have told me over the years that they have this, this great wisdom and, and, and insight into things of God that no one else knows, no one else can understand. There was somebody I once knew who um, was a Christian, but, but always claimed to have some understanding or insight into God that only he could understand and that he would be willing to share that with me. 
you know, and I think be careful of that because what happens in those cases is people kind of set themselves up as mini-gods, having more wisdom than the average person. And God doesn't get the glory. You know, they take the glory for themselves. Job answers Zophar's accusation um, with a complaint. And it reminds me of many of David's lament psalms, you know, expressing his heart as he cried out to the Lord, as he cried out even in complaint to the Lord. You know, I think we, you know, we see that so frequently throughout the Psalms that it really reassures me that God's okay with, with that. God's okay with hearing our cries, um, even if they express themselves as a complaint. It's, it's about a relationship. And he wants to hear the cries of our heart, those things that we don't understand, those things that we may think are unfair. God's okay with hearing those things. He wants us to be open and honest. In verse 4, Job says, I am, I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him, the just and the blameless who is ridiculed. So Job answers Zophar here, and he recognizes that although he does have a relationship with God, he says here, he called on God and God answered. That, might, that doesn't prevent others from mocking and ridiculing him. In fact, sometimes it's, it is our relationship with the Lord that's the very reason that others may mock us. Sometimes we're even mocked by other believers because they can't see that God is working in our lives. You know, they may look at us. They may look at our circumstances. They may see that, I'm, that we're struggling, that we're suffering, that we're going through a great trial, and they may not see that God is working in that. And so they may mock us. They may ask us, where is your faith? Where is your God? Why, isn't God, why is God allowing this in your life? And this may be from, even from other believers. You know, I think of Jesus who was completely innocent and sinless, yet he was mocked and ridiculed. Even as he went to his death, remember in Mark 15, in verses 27 through 32, it says, With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. You know, we may find ourselves in that same position as believers, that people look at our life and look at our circumstances, and they may, they may wonder, you know, why we're going through what we're going through. But as Christians, we can proudly identify with Christ in his sufferings. It says in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And in 1 Peter 
It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. So when we suffer, we identify with Christ. So even when people mock us and ridicule us for our faith, we are identified with Jesus in that. And, um, and we should, take, we should uh, proudly identify with Christ in those things. Verses 5 and 6, back in Job 12, it says, A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those who f- whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. So, again, Job here is trying to make a defense for himself, answer the accusations of Zophar, who says he misund- he, that, that Job doesn't understand God, but Zophar has a misunderstanding of God. He tells Zophar that if he completely understood God's ways, and it was as simple as he claimed, that is that God punishes only sinners, therefore Job must be a, a blatant sinner. That's kind of they, what they, what they uh, honed it down to, a uh, very simple thing. Then, then Job says, well, what, then why do some who sin still prosper? Why do some who provoke God with their sinful ways not get punished? And that's a good point, Job. You can't put God in a box. You can't know for sure how he may deal with a person or a circumstance that occurs. And so Zophar's claim to completely understand God to be wiser than Job and to have this great understanding, it breaks down here because God cannot be totally understood in all of his ways. We don't see what's going on necessarily behind the scenes, but God knows the end from the beginning. Zophar was acting like he and his friends were so wise and Job wasn't. Now Job is going to try to explain his understanding of God but he's going to point to God to help him with, with uh, that defense, with his answer to Zophar. And really, this is the best way to answer those critics who come against uh, you or I. He's going to start off by pointing to God's creative signature in nature. It, this is his way of telling Zophar that the majesty of God is so evident that Zophar and his other friends have really no need of what they think is some special intellect or wisdom in order to understand these things. It's evident in nature. It's evident as we look around us. His point is that since earth and the animal kingdom express God's majesty, that any man should surely have at least a fundamental understanding of the awesomeness of God. In verses 7 through 10, Job says, But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? So God's awesome uh, work in creation, you know, the creation of the animal kingdom 
and it was done for our enjoyment, and it was also done for his glory. Think about it. When you listen to the singing of the birds, and it sounds like they're praising the Lord, right? When we see the beauty around us in nature, we can't deny that there's a powerful, loving creator behind it. Genesis 1, 24 and 25 tells us this it says then God said let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth each according to its kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and what and God saw that it was good the awesome creation account here and we know that Animals are one of many of God's gifts to us. That's probably why social media is flooded with animal videos, cat videos, dog videos, horse videos. Um, We're given a faithful companionship, right, by our family dog. And animals are used throughout Scripture to help teach a lesson or to make a spiritual point. Think of what we just... uh, taught on a few weeks ago about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the, on the back of a donkey, right? Used to symbolize his humility, right? And then wh- who isn't eagerly awaiting his return on a white horse from heaven? As mentioned in the book of Revelation. <laughs> and who doesn't recognize the majesty of God in creation in the animal kingdom when we read the uh, account of what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom in Isaiah chapter 11 and this awesome account where it says in verses 6 through 9, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand into the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, Zophar, you're not so smart. Even the animals will understand. They'll have the knowledge of God and they will be praising him. All of creation understands the majesty of God and is expected to praise him according to its, their capacity. Now, I don't expect that a, a cow or a, a bear is going to pick up a guitar and start singing worship songs to the Lord. But as their capacity allows, they're going to praise the Lord. Revelation 5.13, it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now, as smart as us humans think we are, as smart as Zophar was telling Job that he was, we can see that all of creation has this understanding of God's majesty and power. 
Job goes on here and he says in verse 11, does not the ear test words and the mouth taste food? So he continues here with this idea that Zophar and his other friends aren't so, aren't all that wise. Just as you hear words and immediately that sound is in your mind or you taste food and you don't need to do some type of investigation to find out whether it's bitter or sweet. Immediately, your taste buds will send that message to your brain to identify that flavor. The majesty of God is like that. It's so evident. It's so evident that you immediately come to the conclusion that there is a loving, powerful, awesome God behind everything. And behind, even behind the difficulties and trials that we go through. Atheists may deny the existence of God, but they cannot deny the beauty that is all around us, that declares his glory. Job goes on in verse 12, wisdom is with aged men and with length of days understanding. Matthew Henry's commentary about this verse says, it is allowed that among men there is wisdom and understanding. But it is to be found only with, with some few, with the ancient and with those who are blessed with length of days, who get it by long experience and constant experience. And, then we, and when they have got the wisdom, they have lost their strength and are unable to execute the results of their wisdom. Job completes his sort of defense here, um, his answer, by declaring God's wisdom and strength. It's always best when we give God the glory, even when we're attempting to answer our critics or those who come against us, those who want to mock us for our faith. It's always best when we use the word of God to defend those things because the word of God gives us all we need to declare his glory. Charles Spurgeon said, the word of God is like a lion. You do, you do not, not have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Job used his belief in God as he revealed himself to Job to exalt God and to answer Zophar's criticism. And in this last section here, I'm going to read through verse 13 through 25 because this is what Job does to defend himself against the accusations that came against him. He uses God's word. He uses God's majesty, his character. So in verse 13 through 25, it says, With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fool of fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of the kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away. Uh, I'm sorry. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness. He brings the shadows of death to life. 
He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and he makes them wander in pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. We should take a lesson here from Job. God's word, God's nature, God's character is sufficient to answer all of the mockers and the critics. Didn't Jesus use scripture to rebuke Satan in the wilderness when he tried to tempt him? He used the word of God. And all of the things that Job's friends accused him of, God perfectly answers, either in his word or in his nature. You know, Job's friends accused him of having no knowledge of God. Job's answer to them was, God has all wisdom. God has all knowledge. God has all strength. Job's friends tried to give him counsel as poor as it was, but it, it, it tells us here, God's counsel is always best. He has counsel and he has understanding. Job continues to describe the power and the majesty of God. He says in verse 14, if he breaks the thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. God creates and God can destroy. No man can rebuild the thing that God destroys. Only God has the power to do that. Only God has the power to do that. Man cannot undo something that God has done. God has power over all nature. In verse 15, if he withholds the waters, they dry up. All God has to do is say, that's it. Turn, out, turn off the spigot and the waters dry up. If he sends them out, if he opens it up again, it'll flood the whole earth. That's as easy as it is for God. Think of Jesus when he calmed the storm, right? With his disciples in the boat in Luke 8, Luke 8. This, this awesome account. And in verse 24 and 25, it says, And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's God. He's God, and God has the power over all of nature. God has the power over any rulers on the earth. You know, there may be, uh, you know, the president of the United States is, is called the most powerful man in the world, but not compared to God. God has all power to, to, take, to take kings up, to let them down, it says in verse 18, he loosens the bonds of kings and he binds their waists with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and he overthrows the mighty. You may think that you're something because you have this great position of power in the world, but God is all-powerful. Romans 13 tells us that in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It is God who puts these people in power. And of course, 
power goes to their heads and they think that it's all about them. But when we look at the Scriptures, when we understand God's character, we know that He has power over all these things. This is Job's answer to his so-called friends. Job has the pow- uh, God has the power over the nations to bring one up, to bring one down, to destroy another. He makes nations great, it says in verse 23, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he guides them. We better be on God's side as a nation because he has the power to, to destroy us. And I, I have this sense that as we, as a nation, get further and further from God, eventually he is going to release his hold on us of protection because we've gone so far from him. And apart from the light of God shining in us and through us, we're just going to stumble around this world in darkness. It says in verse 25, they grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Ephesians 5.8 says, for you once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Brothers and sisters, We don't want to be stumbling around in the darkness. We have the light of Jesus Christ in us. We shouldn't live, we shouldn't walk like we're in darkness. We should be walking like we have the light of the Lord within us. And because of that, you know, people are trying to deal with this uh, COVID-19 crisis that's going on in our country. And they're stumbling and they're bumbling. You know, you can just watch, the, watch some of the news reports and see some of these leaders. They don't really know what to say, what to do. And sometimes they act as though they, they, they don't know anything and they're just coming out and saying whatever. You know, we don't have the answers, but we have the hope. We have the hope. And the hope that is in us is the light of Christ working through us. You know, we may not be able to figure out all of the uh, answers to the questions about this virus, but we can declare the majesty of God to people. We can, we can give them hope in the midst of it. And we can shine a light where they may be stumbling in the darkness. And I think that's what the lesson is today. That no matter what, no matter what's coming against us, no matter what's in our lives personally, no matter what people may say about us as believers, that if we continually point to Jesus Christ, if we continue to point to the Word of God, that that will be our answer for anybody who has anything to say. And it may open an awesome door for us. Give us a great opportunity to really minister to those in need. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. 
We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's